the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Phrases in the church like loving and gracious God. Our God is a loving and gracious God. And that's good because we want to focus on the fact that He's loving. That's wonderful. We want to focus on the fact that He's gracious. That is superb. Join us now for Grace to the Bay as we glorify the Lord Jesus Christ through sound expository teaching by our teacher, Dr. Roger Chen. Grace to the Bay is the radio outreach of Grace Church of the Bay Area located in San Mateo. If you are blessed by Dr. Chen's message and are looking for a church home, you're invited to come worship with them. Now, here is Dr. Chen. A priest, a judge, and an engineer were sentenced to be killed by guillotine. They placed the priest's head down in the contraption, and they asked him, do you have any last words? And he said, I believe in the mercy and justice of God. They let go of the blade, and it stopped within inches of his neck, and they let him go. They put the judge's head in the guillotine, and he said, I believe in the mercy and justice of the law. And sure enough, they let the blade go, and once again, it stopped inches from his neck. Then they put the engineer's head in the guillotine. He said, I don't know much about God, and I don't know much about the law. But as an engineer, I do know there probably shouldn't be a knot right there in the rope that's stopping the blade. And you can imagine what happened. We've been talking about knowledge and how just knowing and spouting out the facts is not enough when it comes to making decisions in the Christian life in regards to gray areas. In fact, like that engineer, just spouting the facts without thinking of the situation can cause harm to oneself and harm to others. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, and chapter 8, he's talking about the liberty, Christian liberty, Christian freedom, gray areas, areas that are not condemned specifically in the Scripture or forbidden in the Scripture, and areas of life that are not commanded in Scripture, things like drinking alcohol, smoking, holding hands before marriage, or in this particular situation for the ancient Corinthian church, eating meat that had been sacrificed to pagan idols. And that's how Paul sets the foundation of the gray areas. He's addressing a particular issue, but the principles help us in understanding all of it. And he talked about, in verses 1 through 3, knowledge versus love. He says, knowledge just puffs up. It makes you arrogant, but love edifies. And what he's saying is, yes, all Christians know that idols are not real, and thus the meat that was sacrificed to the idols are nothing. It's not any more or less spiritual than any other meat. In fact, it's better meat because of the type of animals they were required to bring for the sacrifices. And so Christians like to buy that meat. And what we'll see as we continue in chapter 8 is Christians would actually enjoy the feasts at the temple. It wasn't part of the worship. It was just a big party, a nice meal, a good buffet on their day of sacrifices. And so they would be invited and enjoy perhaps even fellowship with other Christians among the pagans that were there. He goes on, as we saw last week, to explain 
what that knowledge is. He says this knowledge is still important. And we saw last week how he compares and contrasts the real God, our real God, with idols. Idols are nothing. God is real. And God is one. We don't need many gods. Our God and Father in heaven, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, is not just a supreme God, and there are many other gods. There is only one God. He is enough. He is sovereign. He does it all. He created it all. He sustains it all. We use phrases in the church like loving and gracious God. Our God is a loving and gracious God. And that's good because we want to focus on the fact that he's loving. That's wonderful. We want to focus on the fact that he's gracious. That is superb. But the most important word in that phrase, loving and gracious God, is the word God. He is God. And we must be careful what we do, how we serve him, how we approach him. We exist because of him. We exist for him, as we saw last week. And that, even though it seemed like he was helping the cause or the argument of those Christians who wanted to eat the sacrificed meat, he's actually setting up a foundation for how we should live as Christians in regards to gray areas, how we are to live out our Christian freedom, the things that we are allowed to do. We have the authority to do, but may not be the best for others. And so this week and next week as we continue on, we will look at our continuing series on limiting liberty this week and next, the right choice, how to make the right choice in regards to our liberty, how to limit it. And as he often does, having established the theological premise, Paul now gets practical regarding eating meat, sacrifice to idols, and by virtue of that, practical helps for all gray areas because frankly, for probably all of us, In our culture where we live right now, if you're from this area or the United States, the issue of causing another Christian to stumble because you're eating meat sacrificed to idols is not an issue at all. But there are other gray areas in our life, and there will be different gray areas as time goes on. Some of them will be the same. Some of them will continue to grow. Some of them don't exist now because the technology doesn't exist. But as things change, as cultures change, as society changes, as laws change, as technology changes, there will be gray areas that we cannot even conceive of today. And so it's helpful, as with all things in the Christian life, to go back to our hearts, to the basic foundational principles of the Scriptures. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 7 through 13. He writes, however, not all men have this knowledge, but some being accustomed to the idol until now eat food as if it were sacrificed to an idol and their conscience being weak is defiled. But food will not commend us to God. We are neither the worse if we do not eat nor the better if we do eat. But take care that this liberty of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone sees you who have knowledge, Dining in an idol's temple, will not his conscience, if he is weak, be strengthened to eat things sacrificed to idols? For through your knowledge, he who is weak is ruined, the brother for whose sake Christ died. And so by sinning against the brethren and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food causes my brother to stumble, I will never eat meat again, so that I will not cause my brother to stumble. Six factors we will look at over the next two weeks. Six factors in choosing to limit your Christian liberty. In other words, when it comes to limiting our freedoms, when it comes to choosing how to practice or avoid gray areas, there are six factors that we need to consider. We'll like it. And by the way, I want to make it clear that I did not say six factors in choosing whether or not to limit your Christian liberty. 
six factors in choosing to limit your Christian liberty. First factor is the background of the brethren. The background of the brethren. Let me read for you again verse 7. However, not all men have this knowledge, but some being accustomed to the idol until now eat food as if it were sacrificed to an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. Remember that many, if not the majority of the Corinthian believers, this is the early church. This is not like the church today, which is firmly established all over the world. This is the early church. Christianity is a new religion. Christ has recently died and resurrected and ascended into heaven, thus starting Christianity, starting the church. And so many of these now Christians were idol worshipers. Because it's not like today where if you're not a Christian, you may be nothing. Uh, I'm agnostic. I'm atheist. I don't know. I've never thought about it back then. Religion was an integral part of society. And so if you weren't a Christian, if you weren't a Jew, you were most likely worshiping in one of these religious cults or one of these established polytheistic religions, the ones we all studied about, Zeus and Aphrodite and and all of those. And so having Paul established that all Christians have the same knowledge regarding idols, now that they are believers whether they were uh, idol pagan worshipers before or not, they know now that there is only one true God. They all know that. But then Paul now says that not all Christians have this knowledge. He said we all have this knowledge, and now he says we don't all have this knowledge. It seems confusing, so let me clarify, because it's very important as he gets into the practical matters of how to decide regarding gray areas. The people that Paul is referring to are the believers in Corinth. We need to make that very clear. His main concern is that the Christians who are eating the meat not hurt the Christians who do not want to eat the meat. In other words, this is a family affair. He is addressing Christians so that they would consider other Christians. Among these believers, not all of them have the same experiential and emotional component to the knowledge that idols are not real. And this is what Paul is talking about, that not all have this knowledge. The facts are the same. Idols are not real. But the environment, the background, the fears, and other factors are different for every individual. Specifically, he says, some are, I quote, accustomed to the idol. Or the ESV says, have a former association with the idol. In other words, there's a difference in knowledge in that one Christian who was just born as an agnostic or maybe even into a Christian family and became a Christian knows there is no God, or no other gods, I should say. There is only one God. That biblical fact, the former idol worshiper has, but his knowledge includes things he used to do, understanding of how to worship that God or goddess, memories, sins. And for them, the statement, idols are nothing, involves many interconnected aspects of their background, much like you. You know that you are a new creation. You know that you are no longer enslaved to the sins that you were once enslaved to, but you have memories. You have thoughts. It causes you to stumble. It affects you. It hurts you. And for these people, knowledge of the facts that idols are not real involves inseparable knowledge of things they have seen in idol worship things they have done, things their family members continue to do in their homes. Sure, for you it's just a nice meal with friends. The temple worship is over. It's just a nice meal with friends commemorating something that you know is non-existent. So it's okay. But for her, 
That room is filled with vile memories and satanic experiences. So how is she going to feel when you bring her there or she sees you in there? For us, sure, it's just a place to hang out with friends after work, play some pool. But for him, it's a place where he picked up many women for one-night stands. So don't let him see you there. Don't go there. Sure, for you, it's just a simple gesture of affection as our relationship increases, just hand-to-hand, clothes on. But for her, it was the first step that led to her spending the night with her ex. We could go on. But you can clearly see in your mind's eye the depth and power of the memories those situations could bring back, memories that could lead to sin, memories that Paul will later say that could drive a believer back into an old system of worship and patterns of gross sin. In regard to the weak conscience that he mentions here, it's not just about their family or religious background that makes them have a weak conscience, but also their spiritual maturity, how long they have been a Christian, how well or poorly they have been taught, how involved they have been in service and in the church. Probably not so much in Paul's day, but it's unfortunate that there are so many people today that have been Christians for decades, yet for those many years they were taught bad, wrong, liberal, weak, or just plain silly theology. So naturally, their spirituality, their spiritual maturity reflects that. They are more spiritually immature than someone who's attended and been actively involved in a solid church for six months. As a side note, the more involved you are in the church, the more you will grow spiritually, not just listening to sermons, not just reading your Bible, but serving one another, being involved, getting to know people, because in that you learn to practice humility, love, and self-sacrifice. You allow others to sharpen you through their examples, good and bad, and their instruction into your life, not just generic, if you can call it that way, in a sermon to 100 people. We refer that refer to that as biblical fellowship here at Grace. But back to the particular situation. These weaker brethren, due to their backgrounds, would eat this meat as if it was sacrificed to an idol, Paul says. The stain or the, the taint of idolatry still sticks in their minds and it clings to that meat. Even though they know intellectually that there's nothing to that meat, but in that bite of steak are dozens of experiences and memories that are just wicked. Their former way of life is so intertwined with their consciousness and emotions that they cannot easily rid themselves of these old associations. For them, eating the meat is directly connected to idolatry and thus connects them to idolatry and you to idolatry if you were to eat that meat. And something to keep in mind in helping us understand that is that although the idols were not real, and you understand this from religions today, although the idols were not real, the practices within idolatry were very real. So Paul goes on to explain that when you have someone who thinks and feels this way when it comes to eating sacrificed meat, when you disregard them, when you say idols are not real, so I'm just going to go join this feast, you do damage. Paul says their conscience already being weak is defiled. And the reason their conscience is called weak is because of their, the ability for their old desires and their old feelings to come back. We experience this all the time. Remember, the conscience is the Holy Spirit-guided warning system. So part of them having a weak conscience means that they lack clarity 
regarding what's right or wrong, which in turn makes them unable to form sound, healthy, biblical, spiritual judgments. It breaks down as that individual's guide to what is holy. And when they see other believers partaking in the temple meals, their already weak conscience is defiled, which means the word Paul uses here to make dirty, to stain, to soil, to pollute, to contaminate. And in this particular situation, of course, we're talking about religious and moral contamination. Again, just, it's just eating, as we'll see in the next verse. The, the, the action in and of itself is not wrong. Putting something into my mouth and letting my mouth and my body digest it is not wrong. But for this person to be told by your words or your deeds that eating this meat is okay can lead to confusion. Again, digging up of sinful thoughts from their past life, feelings of guilt, loss of joy and peace, or worse, going back. We get this. Some of you, because you are now Christians, cannot go back to your high school reunions because of the people you'll see there, the things you did to them. Just being in that gym, the sins that you committed there, you can't do it. Many drug relapses we know or from visiting the places or encountering the same people that were in their life in times of heavy drug use. Certain places, people, or experiences, even smells. You guys ever experienced that? You smell something and you're right back on that place you were as a kid or, or back on vacation or wherever you are. But those things can trigger temptations. How much more when a mature Christian goes to those places, befriends those people, or engages in those experiences... And the weaker, formerly drug-addicted Christian sees it. We know the same could be said for so many other sins. And in the verse, the connection and the source is clear. It is you who practice your Christian liberty in this way. You are the ones who are defiling the conscience of a weaker brother. So there is no place for, well, he's just weak. I'm not responsible. You are responsible. That's what Paul's saying here. And if you don't believe Paul, read the rest of the New Testament. You are responsible for me. I'm responsible for you. We're all responsible for each other. That's what a family is. And notice Paul doesn't say that you must grow them up, teach them, make them wise. He doesn't say to challenge them because of their immaturity and rebuke them for a lack of spiritual growth. No, he says love them and stop eating the meat. You're the problem here. Yes, there's a place for teaching that we don't add to the Scriptures. We don't call something sin if God doesn't call it sin. But there's a place for love. There's a place for compassion. There's a place for considering others when it comes to these things and saying, I'm going to keep doing it. You're the immature one. Read your Bible, buddy. Don't you get it? That's, that's not love. That's going back to knowledge. And you see right there in that example why Paul says knowledge just makes arrogant. It just puffs you up. You see, when it comes to gray areas and Christian liberty, we saw that we must exhibit love. And a big part of that is recognizing that we all have different backgrounds, experiences, and maturity levels, and that, that's okay. We need to understand the background of the brethren. And I do want to clarify, and I'll make mention of this again later, that to make the right decision regarding Christian liberty and gray areas and involving the background of other believers does not necessitate that you even know the specifics of their background. It doesn't matter. You understand? you, you, you got to know what, their, what sins are. This was a prevalent issue back then. They should know this. 
Okay? We're not talking about just one-time little thing that a weaker brother sees and it causes you to stumble and it's not even uh, an issue anywhere. We're not saying that every little thing you need to be careful now and because someone could be watching, it could cause you to stumble. We're talking about big issues that could draw into a lifestyle of idolatry, alcoholism, promiscuity. Do you understand? So you know those things exist. You know those things are part of society. And so you don't have to know. You say, well, I'm going to just keep doing this until someone tells me that they struggled with sleeping around before they were a believer. No, you don't need to know that. So what I'm saying is you don't need to know the specifics. You don't even need to know if someone in, the, in our particular church has this issue. We just need to love. And, of course, if it becomes clear that someone does, all the more. Well, let's move to a second factor in choosing to limit your Christian liberty, and that is the impotence of the issue. Look at verse 8. But food will not commend us to God. We are neither the worse if we do not eat nor the better if we do eat. See, food is neutral in the sense that it will not affect our relationship with God. It does not, he says, commend us to God. The word commend means to pre- present someone, introduce to someone. The NIV says bring near. And here it's for the sake of praise or condemnation. And what Paul is saying is on the one hand, the refusal to eat certain foods does not mean that we are somehow hurting our relationship with God. On the other hand, because the people eating the food are saying they're more mature, eating certain foods does not somehow advance our relationship with God. Food is spiritually neutral. Now, to be clear, I am talking about the food itself, the physical act of eating. We know as Christians that even in the mundane things such as food, our attitude in or approach to the action can bring glory to God or do the opposite. In fact, in the key verse calling us to, to do all to the glory of God, 1 Corinthians 10.31, the examples given are whether you eat or drink, we are to honor Him. And the very context of 1 Corinthians 8 tells us that choosing to eat or not to eat can either honor God by preferring others or dishonor God when you defile another's conscience. But the motivation, the thought life, or any other emotional or intellectual aspect of eating is not what we're talking about here. Paul in this verse is saying the simple act of putting food into your mouth in and of itself does nothing to your relationship with God. So stop thinking that way. And what Paul wants to make clear is that, as with all things, it is your heart that is important. For things that are explicitly commanded or forbidden in Scripture, just doing those things is not enough. You know that. Just coming to church is not enough. Just sharing the gospel is not enough. God looks at the heart. God wants to know why you're doing it. And the role of the heart is equally important in gray areas such as food. In the latter half of the verse, Paul says that the people who refuse to eat the temple food are not in any way hurting God's view of them. And in the same way, eating the food does not in any way strengthen God's view of them. It's spiritually neutral. It's food. I'm thankful for food. I like food. But it's just food. It's spiritually neutral. And this truth can be brought into our modern culture with choices such as eating meat, being vegan, choosing organic, etc. Those things in and of themselves do not bring you into the presence of God for His approval or disapproval. Again, the heart issue, which is what Paul is setting up here, is important. For example, if you're a bad steward of His money because you like shopping at Whole Foods when you can't afford it, then there's a problem. That may be dishonoring to God. If you believe choosing a certain diet gives you more energy, which you follow in order to serve Him better, that's a good thing. That honors God through food. 
Again, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. But vegetables, meat, organic, overpriced or bargain value, whatever, in and of themselves, do not have any spiritual value or spiritual influence. It is your heart. We see Paul say pretty much the same thing in regard to physical circumcision. 1 Corinthians 7.19, circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing. But what matters is the keeping of the commandments of God, keeping in mind that the two greatest commandments are to love. For the sake of time, I'm not going to have you turn there, but Galatians 5.6, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything but faith working through love. Same principle in 1 Corinthians 8. Galatians 6.15, for neither is circumcision anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation, which is what we are. And you can replace circumcision and uncircumcision with eating meat, sacrifice to idols, or any number of gray areas. Alcohol or abstinence is nothing but faith working through love. Holding hands or not holding hands do not mean anything, but what matters to God is the keeping of His commandments. Again, not licensed to do what you want, but to seek to prefer others in those gray areas. Why is this important in this topic? It is a reminder that we as Christians, whether the Corinthians 2,000 years ago, from Burlingame, California in 2021, we need to keep the main thing the main thing. And what is the main thing? God's glory. Christian, prioritize God's glory. This means prioritizing the things that bring Him glory. And we know that obedience brings Him glory for sure. Gray areas? Not so much. Gray areas pursued without considering others? Absolutely not. This has been Grace to the Bay with Dr. Roger Chen. For the next part in this series, join us next week at this same time. Grace to the Bay is the radio ministry of Grace Church of the Bay Area, practicing and proclaiming the purity of biblical truth. You are invited to join them for worship services in San Mateo, Sundays at 11 a.m. Visit gracebayarea.org for service times, directions, live streamed services, listen to archived sermons, or to make a tax-deductible donation to help keep Grace to the Bay on the air so that we can continue to share Pastor Roger's teaching with you each week. Again, that's gracebayarea.org. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.